little short series, a mini-series uh, on the book of Ruth. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Ruth. And so you can uh, put your finger in there if you want to, put a, put a post-it note or tear a piece of paper and put a marker, because uh, we're going to be going back to that over the next three, possibly four weeks. Um, and I've titled the series, Adversity and Redemption. Adversity and Redemption. And today I want to preach to us about defining decisions, defining decisions. You know, there are decisions made in the course of our lives that uh, end up defining us in some sense of a measure. Sometimes they're uh, good things, sometimes they're negative things, but they're decisions that we have to make and they become defining decisions. And sometimes we're unaware that we're in the middle of making a defining decision, uh, but it's a decision that after the fact will have outcomes that come to define our lives or a portion of our life. And even decisions sometimes are recognized by people outside of us that see that decision and recognize that it is a defining decision decision that has defined our lives and all of us can probably relate or think of at some point or even been part of the conversation where in whispered hushed tones they talk about some defining decision that changed a person's life and when an individual's name is brought up in conversation inevitably that defining moment that decision is mentioned do you know Susan? Oh, yes, I know Susan. Did you know Susan abandoned her children and husband to run off with a coworker? Susan's decision has defined her in that moment. The most terrible of defining decisions to me are the ones that we allow to define our own lives. What I mean by that is we make a decision and then the outcome is not necessarily what we expected, but we find ourselves looking back to that roof, that, that watershed moment in our life and saying, you know, if this had been different. Does anybody else have moments like that in your life? You reflect on, you think, man, if I'd have made a different decision or if I had done that differently, I wouldn't be where I am right now. And sometimes those are positive decisions, like I made the decision to go to a particular college, and at that particular college, I met my wife. And I had other opportunities in the moment to go to a different college or do a different thing, go somewhere else, do something different. But because of that decision, while it was not this major cataclysmic decision of going to college, it had repercussions that followed after, and I have a wonderful wife because of it. So occasionally, reflecting on life, you look back and you think, man, you know, if I had gotten out of high school and did that one thing I talked about doing, but then inevitably I start thinking, well, I wouldn't have went to the college I went to. I wouldn't have met Shelly. I wouldn't have had the beautiful kids I have. It would have been totally different. But then there are those defining moments that, you look back on that are not so positive and you think, man, if I could do that differently, if I could change that, and those defining decisions. 
here's the thing. If you don't get anything else of what I'm saying today, I want you to understand this. Defining decisions do not have unlimited and unrestrained power over us when we are willing to repent. We are willing to repent. What does that mean? Does that mean you can go back and change that decision? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is it can change from that point of repentance going forward. Defining decisions do not have unlimited and unrestrained power. You think about what Paul wrote when he was writing about sin. He begins naming off all of these sins that people are involved in and that we're supposed to abstain and stay away from. And he wraps up his whole writing by saying, and such were some of you. You're not that anymore, but you used to be that. It's the power of repentance. The book of Ruth is an interesting book. It's, it's found between the book of Judges, just after Judges, and just before first book of Samuel. And it's significant It's significant and very different from other books in several ways. First, it's the only one of two books named after a woman and in which a woman plays a significant role as a main character. The other book is is, uh, Esther. You have Ruth and you have Esther. Ruth, the person, the character, was a Gentile. But the book is all about that through her commitment and loyalty, To her mother-in-law, she came to play a key part in the lineage of King David and the lineage of Jesus Christ. Part of the original Hebrew Bible, this book would be read every year at a certain time. It was attached to the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Pentecost is the celebration of harvest. And every year at the Feast of Pentecost, the Hebrews would gather together, they'd pull out this book of Ruth, and they would begin to tell the story and read aloud again the book of Ruth. And the key theme of Ruth is very, very simple. It is one of redemption. One of redemption. There are only four chapters in the book, and they're all pretty short. If you ever thought, you know, I've never read through a full book of the Bible, go to the book of Ruth. Four chapters and you're done. But the theme is redemption. And the story is this. A kinsman redeemer named Boaz redeems a family member, Ruth, and by extension, Naomi. Naomi's who we're going to focus on today. These ladies are incapable because of their plot and situation in life of redeeming themselves. They have no capability of doing anything about where they are at. And the book of Ruth connects this theme of redemption, Boaz redeeming Ruth and Naomi and this family and the harvest of the festival of Pentecost. And it's this foreshadowing of the revival of a New Testament church. That's really what it's all about. A New Testament church, a Pentecost that you and I are meant to experience that he has for every person. And the book of Ruth... uh, Following the book of Judges, Judges ends with this verse in Judges 21-25. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
So every person, get this in your mind, every person is doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, we live in a democracy. We're very blessed. Really, it's, it's a democracy, but it's more of a, a democratic republic. Um, and then if you go to some other countries, you have what is called a monarchy, where there's a king in place. You go to another country, and uh, uh, there are various different governments in the world. Israel was structured to be a theocracy, God leading the people. And so they have no king. Instead, what they have are a time of judges. The judges take the things of the people and they weigh them before God and make a decision based on the laws and the writings of God and what God has instructed his people to follow. But instead of following God and instead of following these judges and being led, instead everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone was doing just whatever they wanted to do. Didn't matter what the repercussions would be. Didn't matter the outcome. It doesn't matter the judgment of God. It doesn't matter how God viewed that thing. It was just whatever goes, goes. People were doing what they wanted to do. In a sense, what Israel was doing is that they were rejecting the leadership of God. They were rebelling against God and His authority. It's not much different from today. Today, you have people saying, you know, you only get to live once, do whatever you want to do that pleases you. Uh, just do you, live your own life, right? You do you. That's a very unbiblical ungodly concept and so in the middle of this everyone doing what is right in their own eyes you have the story of Ruth Elimelech is Naomi's husband we're going to talk about Naomi Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law as you read the story Elimelech Naomi's husband is given the task as husband he is to lead the family and following the leading of the Lord and husbands here today, if, you, if you're not aware, that is your role. You're to lead. That doesn't mean you're in control. It doesn't mean you're the authority. It's not authoritarian. But as the husband, which is an old Latin word meaning house band, the one who surrounds the house and keeps everything together and in order, the husband is to lead his family. Very biblical concept. The woman is to play the role inside of making the peace and keeping the home a lovable environment. We have very different roles in our relationship of what God has designed for the family. If you've not been a part of the life group, love and respect that we've been going through on Tuesday nights, you're missing it because it has been rich. It has been very good. So Elimelech, Naomi's husband, has the task of leading the family in following the Lord. Ruth 1 and 1 opens, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, the days when everyone was doing right in their own eyes, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, this is Elimelech, Judah, Bethlehem Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Elimelech and Naomi make the decision that they're going to leave behind Bethlehem because there's a famine in the land. And for you and I today, that makes reasonable sense. There are a lot of decisions in life 
that are reasonable. They make good sense. Famines are hard. It's really tough to put food on the table and to eat when there is a lack of food and you have a surplus of mouths and there's plenty of mouths to feed. And so Elimelech does what is the sensible thing and he makes a decision for his family that they will leave Bethlehem, Judah, and they will go to Moab where maybe the economy is a little bit better. Scripture doesn't tell us that it's any better. It doesn't say that it's worse. It just says because of the famine, they make a decision to leave. But we have to understand something. Even though there's a famine in Bethlehem, for Elimelech and his family, the chosen children of God, that is where they're supposed to be. They're not supposed to be in Moab. They're supposed to be in Israel. They're supposed to be distinct and set apart from the rest of the world being God's chosen people, the Israelites. And so Elimelech, in his decision to leave Bethlehem, he's ultimately deciding to take his family and move them outside of the will of God. You see, famines can be allowed by God. This famine was allowed by God. The name Elimelech means God is sovereign. El, the Hebrew word El means God, and Melech means ruler or king. And so from that word, we understand that Elimelech's name meant God is sovereign. And in naming him, his parents were saying that God is sovereign in my life. But if God is sovereign, that means God allowed the famine to come to Bethlehem where his family was at. But instead of enduring the famine, Elimelech chose and said, this is too hard for me to go through. I'm going to take my family and go to Moab. And sometimes whenever you come to a decision moment, you have got to ask more than just yourself, what's the easiest thing to do? You need to ask yourself, what does God want me to do? Does God want me to stay and endure or does God want me to move? What is God choosing for my life? Because there's a lot of examples in Scripture where over and over we see people come to a decision point and even though it's uncomfortable, God tells them to choose the hard way. Lot and Abram facing the valley or the mountain. Lot chooses the valley, well-watered plains. It reminds him of Egypt. But whenever he goes there, he destroys his family. As a matter of fact, the Moabites, they were children of uh, Lot's because of an incestuous relationship after he left the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham, he took the mountain. It's a lot harder trip, a lot tougher place to survive. But that's where God wanted him and God blessed him there. And Elimelech, And Naomi, leaving Moab, they're choosing to take control of their own lives and their own destiny. See, some famines in your life are allowed by God. And we don't like to hear this, but they're allowed by God to turn you in a certain direction. Most trouble that comes into my life is either a result of life just happening or it's a result of God allowing it. And whatever it's allowed, I have to make a decision. Am I going to get closer to God? 
Or am I going to allow this famine in my life to drive me to make a decision that's going to hurt me and my family? What is the decision that I'm going to make? Because some famines are brought and allowed by God because God wants you to get closer to Him. Elimelech and Naomi leave Bethlehem for Moab. And the outcome over a 10-year period in Moab is not what they expect. Naomi loses her husband. Elimelech loses his life. Her sons marry Moabite women. And then her sons die also, Ruth 1 and 3. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left, her two sons. Verse 5. Both Malon and Chilion also died. Those are her sons. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. The decision to leave Bethlehem in favor of Moab became a defining decision in the life of Naomi. She is defined by her grief at losing a husband and two sons. She is defined by losing her inheritance in Israel. She is defined by losing land that the family owned in Bethlehem. She is defined by this decision that they made to go to Moab to escape from a famine. She is so defined by this decision and its outcomes that it marks her heart and her soul. It's not just, hey, that's Naomi who left, but it's more than that. Because in verse 21, upon her return to Bethlehem, she tells the people that say, is this Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. The results of my decisions in my life have turned me bitter. The outcome was not what I wanted or expected, and it has turned me bitter. It has marked my heart and my soul in such a way that it has defined me. There are decisions that define. Addiction is the result of a decision to experience something. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be pornography. There are unintended outcomes. No one starts out shooting up into their vein thinking, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to lose everything that I've worked for, and I'm going to be an addict. No one starts out saying, I'm looking forward to being an addict. What is it a result of? It's the result of a decision of experience. But it's a decision that comes to define I'm now an addict. Divorce and destroyed families are the results of a decision. It may be adultery. It may be unwillingness to work at marriage. It may be many things, but it becomes defining. I'm a divorcee. Are you married? No, I'm divorced. For kids, they say, my parents divorced. It becomes defining. Abandoning God becomes defining. I used to have peace that passes all understanding when life happened to me. But now, I, because I've chosen to give up on the giver of peace, I have no peace. There are defining decisions, and every one of us face them at some point in our life. And sometimes it can be as something as small as looking over at Moab and saying, it doesn't look like the famine's as bad there. 
but it becomes a defining decision. The thing about defining decisions, when the outcome is not what we expected, it becomes the thing we blame God for. It becomes the thing we we blame God for. It's amazing how many decisions we can make, and then we say, it's God's fault. Naomi did that. Ruth 1.13, she's talking to her daughters, her daughter-in-law, and she says, would you wait for them? She's talking about having more sons till they were grown. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She says, God did all this to me. God did this to me. In Ruth 1.19 and 21, talking to the women in Bethlehem, Uh, They say, is this Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Verse 21, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Again, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. God did this to me. It couldn't possibly be the decision that she and her husband made. It couldn't possibly be what happened then. It's only God did this to me. Defining decisions. She says, I went out full, but God brought me back empty. God is the reason my decision has had this outcome. Life has made me bitter, and the results of my decisions have made me bitter. I had everything, but God took it from me. He was judging me because of my decisions. Naomi, in this statement, she has two misunderstandings about God. The first is this. The first thing that she thinks is that the things of life make her full. She says, I went out full. I had everything. We left to escape the famine so we wouldn't lose everything. I went out full. Things of life never make you full. Possessions can never fill you up. It will only leave you empty. You can have everything in the world and still you will not be satisfied because there is no satisfaction in this life, in this world without the Spirit of God in your life. It's just not possible. The second misunderstanding she has is that the outcome of her decisions are on God and it's God's judgment for her sin. That because of her decision, God judged her for her sins and robbed her of a husband, robbed her of two sons. I want to tell you today, the outcome of every decision is always the result of the sin. Some things happen in life, but when we're talking about sin, rebelling against God, God doesn't have to judge Because the outcome itself is so terrible. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guess what? People who are involved and wrapped up in sin, they're not waiting on judgment for death. They're dead already. They're walking in death daily because sin slowly destroys and takes from you your life and you become controlled by it. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law the sting of death is sin James 1 15 then when desire is conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when is full grown brings forth death 
Imagine this, if there had never been any sin in paradise, if Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had never rebelled against God, would they have experienced death? No. Death was a result of sin being planted in the world. And so every person that you've ever lost, every person that you've ever stood by the graveside and you mourned, that was the result of sin because sin brings forth death. Romans 5 and 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, sin happened, death followed sin through the door thus death spread to all men because all sinned you and i we're going to die one day but make no mistake it's because of sin in this world and jesus christ and his redemption is all about eternal life and the restoration of what was taken in a day of sin it may or may not have been because your own direct sin. It may not because, be because of a person's sin. But it was definitely because of sin that death has come on our lives. Defining decisions. Defining decisions do not always have to continue defining. And this is the point of my message today. Sin can always be dealt with. There is always an opportunity of returning from the decision made and sin can be turned from. What I want to point out to you in Scripture today is in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6. Naomi has lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She is bitter. She is hurt. She is angry. And she is looking for a way of restoration. Verse 6 says, She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. That word return means is, is, the Greek, is the Hebrew word shub. And shub means to return or return again to turn back to. And it appears 15 times in this book. And so the book of Ruth is all about redemption, but redemption always re- involves returning. It always involves Returning. So she decides that she might return from the country of Moab, and she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. In a sense, what she's admitting and saying is, yeah, the famine came and it got hard, but God was still there. God, whenever he decided to bring bread back to Bethlehem, He visited his people. We now see the results of God visiting his people. God didn't change. I changed. I left. I moved on. Naomi says, I've heard that God has visited his people. I used to be there. I'm tired of where my life is at. I'm tired of the outcome of my decisions. I used to be one of those people called his people. 
I used to be one of those Bethlehemites. I used to be one of those Israelites. I used to be over there where God is visiting his people. And so she decided, I'm going to rise up from where I'm at and I'm going to return to Moab. I'm going to go back. I'm going to repent and return from the decision that was made a long time ago. I'm not going to stay in Moab, but I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go to where God is working. And so Naomi is returning to her people. She is returning to her God. She is repenting of the decision that was made to leave Bethlehem. And you can always repent of your decisions. You can always repent of your sin. He is just and right to forgive us if we will what? Confess our sins. And the idea in that is of repentance, of turning away from the sin that we were in and going back to God. Repentance is an expected part of the redemption process. John the Baptist preached repentance. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus commanded repentance. Luke 13 and 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Paul led people to repentance in Acts 17, 30. He said, truly, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is vital to redemption. It's part of the process, but here is what I want you to understand, the goodness of God. Because chapter 1 starts out with a decision, a defining decision to go to Moab. And in Moab, Naomi experiences the loss of her husband and her two sons. And it ends with the decision that she's going to return to Bethlehem in repentance. And in returning to repentance, returning to Bethlehem, Naomi is still bitter, she's still hurt, she's still angry, she's still looking for redemption. But verse 22 says that when Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. You pick up on that? They returned at the right time moment I'm going to tell you with God it's always the right moment they returned at barley harvest this is a picture of how good God really is to his people because he could have made it where it'd be much more difficult for her to get back there and to live but instead he made it right the right time that when she returned the harvest is being taken up right at that moment she's about to reap in in places that she has not sown she has not been there for planting the seeds and she has not been there for watering and protecting the plants for weeding out the crops uh, or the weeds from the crops she has not been there for the entire process but now simply because she's decided to return she repented she's walking into a harvest that God has put there prepared for her Naomi's still bitter she's still helpless she's still in need of redemption but because of a decision to return God prepared a harvest that she can be part of the reaping Scripture is clear. We always reap what we sow. We always reap what we sow. Galatians 6 and 7. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. But here's the goodness of God. There are some things that you did not sow that you can be part of the reaping. There are some things that you did not sow that you can be part of the reaping. God is so good to us that whenever we decide we're going to return and repent and come back to the place that maybe we felt like we never should have left and we're trying to get closer to Him and trying to get our lives back into the will of God, get back among His people, get back into His kingdom. He's already got some things in place. No, your bitterness may not be dealt with on that moment. No, the marks of the life and the decisions that were made, they may not be taken away and removed. There may not be something to fill that void of the outcome of that decision. But in the repenting, in the returning, God's already put a harvest in place that you can reap. I'm talking to people today, I'm talking to someone today that you made decisions. The outcome has not, not been what you thought it would be. And that decision has come to define you. Maybe no one else looks at you and says, I remember this and they did this and defined them. But in a quiet moment, a quiet time, whenever you start reflecting on life, you start thinking, about a moment where you made a decision. It was an uncomfortable place. There was a famine going on. It was a struggle, and you could see the struggle was not going to end for some time. So you made a decision. And I want to encourage you today, it doesn't matter what that decision was, if you'll return, if you'll repent, if you'll turn away from that decision, you don't have to stay defined by it. You don't have to stay right in the middle of it. And in the process of returning and repenting, God has already planted a harvest that it's ready for you to walk into and experience the blessings of God just because you repent, just because you return. I wonder if you'd stand with me today. I feel the Spirit of God here so strong right now talking to someone the spirit of the Lord is drawing at your heart he's been dealing with you about where you're at right now and he's saying just respond to my call respond to my call you don't have to be defined by that forever just repent I've got blessings I've got things waiting on you yeah you may be walking back into Bethlehem saying don't, don't call me pleasant call me bitter you're arriving at the right time there's a barley harvest there's a feast of Pentecost you're walking into the right time to step back into the will of God would you close your eyes with me and lift your hands toward heaven for just a moment open your heart to the Lord God you see people here God, they're wrestling over decisions and things that have happened in their past. God, I pray right now that your spirit would move into this place.
God would speak to someone's heart. Call us to repentance. Repentance is a necessary step on the road to redemption. Pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Continue to worship the Lord for just a moment.